indeed Jesus Christ is risen today and it's my pleasure to welcome you and to wish you happy Easter. We're very delighted that you're here. We've had five services now to prove that we know our, our Lord is here too. And it's been an exciting morning. I, I, I can hardly wait for you to catch up with the joy that we've already felt and the encouragement and the healing and all the other things that God has in mind to do in your life today because we believe that each one of you are here by divine invitation. I, it just pleases me so much when the resurrection attracts us all under one roof to be here and worship with the expectation that God knows me, he knows what I need, and he has a plan and a surprise for me. That's the expectation of Easter. I trust that'll come true for you this hour. I want to share with you the theme for the morning, which is living hope, articulated by Peter the Apostle when he wrote, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our simple desire for this service is that God might restore hope inside of you, in spite of the challenges and burdens and decisions and whatever else that might be squeezing hope right out of you. I'd like to have you leave here encouraged and filled with joy. So during this hour, feel free to respond, and I can almost guarantee you, you will. There'll be things to respond to up here. We're the catalyst up here to help you worship. And what will happen this hour will, to a great extent, depend on what you put into it. So feel free to clap, to smile, to shed tears, whatever response seems appropriate. It's okay. We've invited two friends to be with us. I'm happy to welcome Sandy Cordova and Jubilant Sykes, people you've heard before, gifted musicians who have come now to enrich our Easter. And so with all that sense of expectation, I welcome you to worship. Would you bow with me in prayer? Loving God, we celebrate the glorious truth that our Lord is a living, loving, self-giving King of Kings. On this, your glorious day, accept our worship, filled with joyful alleluias, offered in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
this Easter morning, I want to point out again that we're not an audience today, we're a family. I don't have to tell you to get close, you already are, but I can tell you to greet each other. I don't want any strangers here. Would you just reach out, be free to say Happy Easter, give some handshakes and hugs. Crucified, my Lord. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my When the blood came streaming down, were you there when the blood came streaming down? To tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when the blood came streaming?
it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when he rose up from the dead? Were you take our breath away to hear the praise and glory of God in such a dramatic and heartfelt way. And the reason that we can feel the joy and energy towards our Lord is because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're going to affirm that hope as we read responsibly. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, you have confidence in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is how God showed his love among us. God sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life.
God's Amazing Grace, a hymn we know, a phrase we love, and it forms the foundation of Easter hope. This is one of the times in the service that I invite you to respond, to, to let your soul respond to the gift God wants to give you today, and that's His Amazing Grace. It's available. Take it. Personalize it. Let it begin to speak and to heal to those wounds that you brought with you that are causing you pain and robbing you of peace.
Well, as the ushers come forward, we have the opportunity during the service to respond to that amazing gift of grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ, the gift of life itself. Uh, this year in our special Easter offering, we're uh, focusing on three different ministries. Uh, the first is providing water, safe drinking water for a, the bilingual ranch in Mexico. Secondly, we'll be uh, helping earthquake victims in Kobe, Japan. And then finally, we'll be helping the Bayshore Ministries relocate their ministry uh, center over in East Palo Alto. If you want to make an offering to this special offering, you'll need to use the envelopes that are in the pew racks in front of you. All other gifts will go to the regular ministry and mission of the church that takes place right here on uh, Santa Cruz Avenue and Johnson Street and all over the Bay Area. So with that in mind, as we consider the great gift of grace God has given to us, let's give in abundance. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, our hearts are filled with joy as we pray and as we sing and as we rejoice over res your resurrection. The gates of hell have fallen before your triumph. You have conquered death. And all the company of heaven shout, Holy, 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 and sing Alleluia. And we proclaim Jesus, the Lord of our lives, our giving, and this hour. Grant us a new sense of awe and wonder for the price you have paid for us. Amen.
please be seated. This morning's scripture is taken from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 18. Please hear God's word of this miraculous, unbelievable moment when the tomb was discovered to be empty. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw, and he believed. They still did not understand, though, from Scripture, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Teacher. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet seen the Father. But go instead to my brothers, and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord.
Recently, I was on an elevator in a very nice resort. And this woman got on. She was carrying two very heavy bags of groceries. And since we had rather a long ride together and you never know quite what to do on an elevator, I decided to be sociable. So I said, you know, it looks like you're getting your exercise for the day. And her response really surprised me because she said, yeah, sure. I exercise every day, but you know, I'm getting older. And from here on out, in spite of all my working out and effort, it's a downhill slide into the inevitable. <laughs> then I thought, that woman's cynical. <laughs> and then I thought, I wish I'd just kept my mouth shut, you know? <laughs> and then I thought, that'll preach for Easter. So, <laughs> you see, this woman lacks something. She obviously had everything that this world can give materially, but she didn't have any hope in here in her heart. She didn't have any hope for her personal future, so everything else she possessed wasn't doing it. She wasn't fully alive. She needed hope, and she didn't have it. And that's what Easter is all about today. Jesus came to assure us that life is more than a downhill slide into the inevitable. Because if you think about it, what if it were really true? What if your life were nothing more then three score years and ten. And you know, you sort of live and you grow and you work out and you get strong and you hit your peak. And you don't know quite when that is and you keep postponing it, but you do hit your peak and then you know you're kind of starting down. And if that's all there is to it, why dream? Why get up in the morning? Why make plans? Easter tells us that where there is hope, there is life, and if you don't have hope, you're not fully alive. And that was what was wrong with the woman in the elevator. Hope prevents us from falling victim to that very modern philosophy, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die anyway, or grab the bring, a brass ring while you can because you only go around once, or if you're going to do it and it brings pleasure, do it now because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Now, in contrast to hopelessness, listen to Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And he or she who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, we have a future if we know Jesus. It's important to note, before we talk too much about eternity, that Easter hope meets you right now where you're living, because if it doesn't help now, there's no use prolonging. At least some of us would say we wouldn't want to prolong what we have now forever. That wouldn't be good news. But if hope 
can come and meet you in your struggles right now and help you not only cope but find joy in the middle of it, th then it's worth listening to. And that's what Easter Hope does. The resurrection power that raised Jesus, God says, is operative potentially in your life right now. That fact gives us hope, for example, when we're here today and maybe we're lonely. Maybe somebody's let us down. People abandon us, they die, they move, they relocate, and we're here feeling very lonely. Or hope meets us when we're too busy. You know, life just doesn't slow down. We're rushing in every direction. We can't control our schedules. There's always another crisis at work. What do we do? Hope meets us when we feel guilty, especially when we come back to church and we haven't been here for a while and we start remembering the stuff we've done and we know we can't fix it and we can't get rid of it and those memories haunt us and they even make us feel like we don't belong here because God couldn't accept us. Help, hope enables us to go on after age or injury takes its toll and someone younger is banging at the door and we're afraid they're trying to take our place. And they probably are. Hope empowers the victim, and we have many of them here, to go beyond abuse and injustice without bitterness destroying his or her soul. Hope is essential if we're going to be fully alive. Easter hope assures us, and, and this is what I, I hope you can grasp today, Easter hope, Jesus is here telling us today that no matter what chapter in our lives is being written right now, God isn't finished with our story. There's a chapter yet to be written, and in meanwhile, we who believe in him can live with incompleteness. We can live without closure and without desperation. Why? Because we know the last chapter. If you're of my generation, you might remember the biblical epic film, Quo Vadis. Deborah Kerr was asked by a reporter if she ever feared the lions during the filming of those scenes when Christians were being eaten by lions. And here was her answer. She said, no, I knew the script before I accepted the role. <laughs> Wise woman. But you see, we Christians know the script, and that's why we don't panic in the midst of life's struggles and incompleteness and frustrations and hurts. Paul the Apostle wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. Think about it. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, there's no situation, no circumstance, no problem too big for him. In fact, and I know this sounds weird if you're really hurting today, but maybe the worst thing that ever happened to you, if it brought you to God, you're going to say, God, you've used it and you've turned a lemon into lemonade. You've turned a horrible thing into something beautiful and I praise you for it because you see, with God, nothing is impossible. That's what hope is about. Now, the opposite of hope is despair. We all know what that is. Viktor Frankl, psychiatrist, ex-prisoner of a Nazi death camp, tells how those prisoners survived who somehow in the midst of that madness held on to the hope that one day they were going to be delivered. And those who surrendered hope, he said they just one day rolled over and died. In Southern California, there's a hospital called the City of Hope. And in this hospital, there are no hopeless cases. No one's a statistic. And that gives every patient and every family hope, and hope is often used to produce miracles. Critics are attacking the current television series Chicago Hope. That's also a medical drama, but it's Hollywood. It's, it's myth, because they're offering very often in their dramas these new drugs that are curing cases that are incurable. And critics are saying that's giving viewers who are incurably ill false hope. And that raises an important point here, and you who are skeptics are already thinking about it. 
There's a difference between false hope and real hope. We Christians preach hope because it's rooted on something that God has already done. He raised his son in a historical event from the dead. And everything else we expect God to do in our lives is rooted in that fact that God has already done the impossible. He brought Jesus back from the dead. So that encourages us today, no matter what's going on, to expect to be surprised by God. And if you don't expect to be surprised by him, you often live in depression and desperation like the woman in the elevator. Someone has written, hope is an inner power to believe that life can get better. Not perfect, just better than it is and good enough to make it worth the struggle to keep our commitments to someone. An oyster can't change the fact that a wee flick, an irritating particle has slipped inside its shell. So it accommodates. It finds a way to cope with that which it cannot change. And by coping, the oyster creates an opalescent pearl. Hope can help you today accommodate yourself to imperfect reality, and all reality is imperfect. We change things we can change, we accept things we cannot change, and we discover the things we can't change. If Jesus is alive and present with us in our life, we can accept and we can be fully alive in spite of it. Hope rooted in God's power and love helps us cope with our personal reality today. We don't have to escape. We don't have to climb into a myth. And we can expect that after life has thrown its very worst at us, God can come. Think about it. If God can change Good Friday into Easter morning, he can do anything. Let's be honest. We're never going to be without two persistent realities. We will always have problems, that's life, and the Christian will have resurrection power to cope with those problems, and that's hope. Jesus made this promise, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, before we go home, I, I need to go back to that part of the hope that has to do with eternity. Uh, we all get excited that maybe Easter can help us do a better job coping with reality, with good positive thinking and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we come to church and we're made to feel good and we go out and we can live better. You know, that's not enough. Because one day, the woman on the elevator was right, in a sense, that we're mortal beings and as much as our society tries to help us forget it through entertainment and all kinds of escape, we are growing older and, and, and then one day we will meet the inevitable, namely, we'll physically die. Now, if you're young, you hardly think about that, you're staying fit and there was a time when I felt that way, but you know, um, I graduated from high school 40 years ago. It seems impossible. And we had our 40th reunion a few weeks ago. And you know what shocked me? Is that some of those people in my class that I still view as high school kids, they're dead. That really shocked me. And I told you last year that, you know, I'm staying physically fit on a Stairmaster and I watch my diet and I'm uh, very low fat and I eat lots of vitamins, taking niacin now and even flossing and staying out of the sun. <laughs> and I am... Uh, and you know, I, I'm doing, I'm trying to do a good job, but it's still, this year, I'm one close, a year closer to when I'm going to meet my Lord than when you were here last year. And the good news is, that isn't bad news. In fact, Jesus made us this promise. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, that, and I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then we read, the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
I was talking with a friend last week whose brother died and he was at a memorial service and the Catholic priest said something throughout that service. Your brother is alive. He kept saying that. And that brought him indescribable comfort because you see, that's really what Easter hope is about, that if we know Jesus, then those who love us know where we are when we die. And that leads me to a question. And before I ask it, I need to tell you, this is hard for me. I was raised in a tradition where invitations, you know, and asking people to become Christians, it was grossly abused. Uh, every service, the pastor would get up and um, ask people to become Christians and walk down the aisle. And after he'd preached already for 40 minutes, we'd have to sing until at least somebody came forward. <laughs> and, um, you know, he'd say, I know the devil's got glue on your seat and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I got so desperate, I wanted, I, I wanted to go forward every week just to get home, you know? <laughs> I, I don't want to manipulate you. I know how television... I know just how it's abused, but I need to do this because the Bible tells me to, that you become a Christian by an invitation. It's like getting married. It's like making a decision. You don't get there by osmosis. It doesn't happen just by coming occasionally. It's a point of decision. So here's your decision. Do you know where you're going when you die? That's kind of a morbid thought, but it's more morbid if you don't know where you're going. And do those who love you know where you'll be when you die? Will a pastor be able to say to those who love you, that person's with Jesus? That's pretty important stuff, in spite of how it's abused. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity to become a Christian. Uh, this is called closure. Uh, this is what Jesus will do for you if you become a Christian. First of all, he'll give you a new character. He will help you become the person you always wanted to be but couldn't. Tried but failed. We all know what that is. Secondly, he'll take away your guilt. Every sin you've committed, we read it was nailed to his cross and it's gone forever. Now, if you were here Good Friday, we, we did something, or at least Rick, the preacher, did something new. We had three life-size crosses stretched across here, and the idea was that at the end of the service, we were going to have everybody write on a sheet their sins. And then we were going to have people come up and put them on the cross so we get rid of them and we acted out the truth of the scripture that our sins were nailed on the cross and Jesus died for them so we don't have to be guilty anymore. Well, the problem is, and why I was worried about it, we Presbyterians don't respond to very much. We don't like to raise our hands. We don't even like to get out of the pew. And we certainly don't like to walk down the aisle. So I thought poor Rick would be up here and the whole thing would be a turkey, you know. But maybe four or five people would come and respond. But I didn't expect much. We Presbyterians love to think. Well, anyway, 700 people came, and they put their sins on the cross, and it was very traumatic. And I, my heart just leaped because that's what it's all about. And that's the second thing Jesus will give you, freedom from your sins, past, present, and future. I can't understand it, but he died for them, and that's the good news. So we don't have to come into judgment. And then thirdly, he gives us eternal life. So you know where you're going when you die. Now, the Bible makes it very clear. Did you know you're going to live forever? Uh, the Bible says we're all immortal. The real question is where and with whom? No pressure. <laughs> and, and I don't mean to be light about it, but, but you know, today God brought you here because he wants you in heaven. He doesn't want one person to be without him in eternity. The only problem with heaven is you can't go there unless you want to. 
You have to choose to. God has already chosen. He wants you there, but you have to say yes. It's called signing on the line. I want Jesus as my Savior. And so today, my, my simple message to you is simply this. Uh, last hour, we had a guy come all the way down from the balcony. He says, as he correctly said, we Presbyterians often speak with our hearts, but our feet don't follow, and came and found Jay and prayed to receive Christ. And I said, if it's only that one it has been worth all five services. I'm going to invite you today, if Jesus knocked on the door of your heart, and you know if he did or not, you've been here before maybe, you know if he's speaking to you, today you can get it all settled and you can know where you're going when you die and you can start finding resurrection hope to help you cope now, you'll be a new creature. That's what we Christians believe. That's what it's all about. And I want to give you a chance to do it. If Jesus knocked on your door today, then open it and say, I want you as my Savior. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, help us to put aside now our doubts, our cynicism, all the intellectual reasons why we think this whole thing is a hoax. And right now, open our eyes and hearts to accept your offer to become not just the Savior of the world, but our personal Savior. Thank you for the assurance that when we meet you as a Christian, we meet you not as a judge, but we will rise to embrace you as our Savior and King. In the name of Jesus, we pray. There was a holy hush all over as I walked into the room. And as I stood before him face to face, I was gloriously made new. There was a great and awesome presence and a light bright as the day. And as I bowed to kneel with the angels, I heard the Spirit say,
Just before we share the benediction, I want you, the 11 o'clock people, to do something for all five services, and that is to give all of us a moment to express our appreciation to the musicians who have labored intensely to give us what in my reading is the best Easter we've ever had. Now I would invite you to join Christians through the centuries in that classical Easter benediction where the pastor says, He is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. Goodbye, God bless, and happy Easter. Yeah.